This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Hello, welcome to the Euros final edition episode of the 15 Minutes of Football podcast. Four topics are brought to you in 15 minutes approximately. No Matt this week, no Callum this week, but Jordan's here solo. Hello, everybody. Football didn't come home. Uh, yeah, we're, we're going di- to dissect that a little bit today, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, that that probably is is an appropriate starting point. Worth noting at the start, like I should always do, but always forget to do, be sure to listen, obviously. Subscribe, perfect. And review, brilliant. But only if it's a good review. If it's a bad review, then maybe be kind, show support, um, obviously. Don't have anything nice to say. Yes, don't say it. Uh, although I don't always follow that mantra myself, maybe I should. Uh, but yes, review, subscribe, listen. And like if you can like it or do any do anything like that or share it share it to your friends that's even better. Um, so we have four topics again as as noted in approximately fifteen minutes each topic. Uh, the first of which dissected that final. The second of which dissected where it went wrong for some of the bigger teams and where maybe where it went right. Then we might have a look. We might we will have a look at some top five takeaways from the Euros generally, which will be an expansion on topic two and then topic four, which is an expansion on topic one, two, and three will be a team of the tournament. So which 11 individuals and managers stood out the most? And there's been a lot, been a lot. So Jordan's brought some backups. I've not done that because I've, well, I've not had the time, but I will suggest some backups there along the way because there were plenty of positions that really could have had two or three options. Anyway, topic one, big final yesterday. Uh, Italy won, uh, England won, but Italy win by three penalties to two. Um, so, it was a, it was a big day for the UK. I mean, for reasons I probably can't elaborate too on the podcast, just in case someone might be listening. Who it would be a conflict of interest to reveal what I was doing this morning. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know who listens. Some people surprise me, and I've I've heard I've had people who I didn't think were listening listening. I thought, oh, were you really? So I can't reveal what I might have been doing. But for whatever reason, I had to be relatively sober, relatively calm, relatively. Um, what's the word, subdued for a final for my country. So that was a big shame, actually. And halfway through, when the score was 1-1, I thought, what am I doing for this commitment the day after? What am I doing? Oh, Jordan, by contrast, uh, was like the majority of the UK um, in, the, in the sense that he was wild, reckless, and um, any, any other adjectives? Not, not feeling too great today, I think, is the best way to describe it. Today being not the day just after. because of the result. Yes, exactly. So when we d- dissect this game a little bit, I can honestly say that I can remember it quite clearly and I, would break, I can make some tactical analyses where Jordan might remember blurs and blobs and, and, <laughs> and, um, and everything that goes along with that. And to be fair, he's having a whale of a time, so fair play. I do think that because of my commitment on that Monday more morning uh, again which i can't elaborate it sounds really seedy it's not that seedy but you know you just got to cover all ground uh because of that commitment that forced me to not partake in the in the crazy raucous events that we saw across the uk i think that's honestly why england couldn't make it um um so i apologize yeah, it's, Rummer, it was johnny's fault everybody donna Rummer did fault. it did it for me and what could I say? I apologize on behalf of the rest of you um but on a serious note i was gutted i was devastated i was devastated like just just to go to the shootout before we get to the um, on-field events, I was devastated for the three England players, uh, Rashford, Sancho and Saka, all three of whom received lots and lots of abuse, lots of racist abuse, which was quite mm-hmm. abhorrent. Although I've got to awesome. be honest, I saw it coming straight away because that's yeah. the state of the of the world that we live in. I'm not even going to just attribute that to Britain. I think that's the state of the world. Yeah, we live so in. I think social media generally, and I don't think it was just English people. I don't think it was just fans of the uh, of the three lions i think it was that your, your generic trolls that you just tend to get and if anybody did go through the comment section of rashford's instagram of sancho's instagram or saka's instagram it, it was so prevalent and so so awful abhorrent as johnny says and some more needs to be done about it doesn't mm. it we said as johnny said but you're only talking to me. <laughs> it could have been anyone else. Uh, as the person behind me said. Um, yeah, I tweeted at the time um, that the three were actually heroes in many ways because to, to go up and take a, a kick of that magnitude really does take balls. And mm-hmm. I think I can say that. 
really does take balls and it does yeah. take a lot of um character a lot of mental strength a lot of a lot of resilience and toughness and you know immense respect to all immense respect to everyone who wore the England shirt in many ways because for them it was a fantastic tournament with a lot of effort a lot of endeavor a lot of pride um a lot of sweat a lot of a lot of tears at the end put into that um tournament and it was a, a truly remarkable effort um so yeah on the penalties front aside and Donnarumma being the colossus that he was in the goal it, it it's a shame any any game has to end that way but again there should be no fault attributed to the to the English players no 100% it's it's one of those where it's so easy for people with hindsight to question the decisions in terms of who's taking penalties that I'd say it's just it's too easy uh, and that's what we've seen today that because we've lost people have used their their 2020 hindsight and, and questioned it but I, I think that Above all else, you've just got to say respect to the, to those players. And, and I, I feel particularly sorry for Saka because you could tell just how much it hurt him when mm. he, he did miss afterwards. Yeah, abuse on footballers, racist abuse, or just general abuse anyway is horrible. Uh, on social media, should be condemned absolutely 100%. Uh, and there probably needs to be more of a crackdown on that, maybe introducing ideas for social media. But then I've seen some very uh, interesting pieces opposing that idea. And... Um, I think Adam Millington, who writes for Varvel, did one for the Independent. Really, quite a good counter argument. Actually, I mean, yeah, there's there's lots of questions on inequality, particularly of having an ID. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and restricting access to kind of this. World also, of news. some of the but best maybe one for... some of the best news accounts are anonymous or, or opinion accounts are anonymous who provide genuine good, and the and many of these are anonymous because they like to. Uh, well, they, maybe they feel a bit afraid to come to come out as themselves or they prefer to hide behind an alias because for whatever reason they have low self-confidence or maybe they, pref- they have more confidence in the alias of someone else, for example. I remember Matt Falls Firmino, who used to be for a Liverpool account, obviously probably was called Matt, but he obviously wasn't uh, Roberto Firmino, but he did deliver some, he obviously did deliver some wonderful pieces for Liverpool and football. I thought it was a great account. He's not here, sadly, at the moment. I, for whatever reason, he deactivated his account. He had about 50,000 followers. I thought it was brilliant. Obviously, it wasn't false for me, no, but he was a great addition to Twitter, in my opinion. So, yeah, there's a lot of new, there's a nuanced argument to that idea argument. But, yeah, aside from that, move on. On the final itself, uh, massive respect to Italy, actually, because I know there's uh, going to be, uh, just like always, there is, a, there is a focus on England from the two of us, there's a focus on England across the nation. But in truth, uh, we'll get on this more in topic two, but Italy after a really slow start, a really, really uncharacteristic yeah. England were, I thought for the entire first half, England were actually on top. Maybe uh, last five. The wing-backs wing were really causing problems, particularly on. Obviously, Shaw got the goal, which was very well taken from, from one, one side to the other. Uh, Luke Shaw, very controlled finish, volley into the near post. Uh, absolute pandemonium where I was watching it. Mm. Really, really fun time there. Uh but yeah, I think the wing-backs were, were causing a lot of problems. I think that the Italian midfield really kind of struggled to get a proper stranglehold mm. on the game at that point. Mm. Obviously, second half, it was a bit of a different story, I think. Yeah, um, well, in the first half, I mean, there was a... So England, Maguire did a really poor... Well, Maguire and Pickford lost communication within the first minute, corner to Italy. Obviously, England then break. Uh, the midfield is absolutely nowhere to be seen. Jorginho's all over the place. Verratti's not in position. Barella's nowhere to be seen. And they just stride through. They get the ball out wide to Trippier. Emerson's in no man's land, really all over the place again, looking all at sea. He's almost playing it centre-back, leaving a massive gap open for Trippier. Walker then has the opportunity to overlap. Emerson's struggling, trying to get into position. He tries to close him down, sees Walker on the overlap, gets stuck between the two, ends up doing neither neither following Walker or, or really pushing Trippier. Trippier bends the ball over a brilliant finish from Shaw. Um, but it was uncharacteristically shocking organisation from a team that's been outstandingly organised for most of the tournament and the majority and the majority of the time under Roberto Mancini. And that effect, the fact that it went in, the goal, there was no real warning. It just came and that was that was the uh that was the you know they were punished immediately within two minutes. Um, it did two things really. It rattled Italy and it really buoyed England. I mean, they were going forward England with a purpose. They were moving it forward. They were playing quite direct and they were keeping the ball well. There was a very high press as well early on, I thought. And I think that the intensity was maybe an issue because players, particularly the midfield, Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips, were maybe beginning to tire. I think that's one of the reasons why in the second half he subbed Declan Rice off so early 
he was starting to look a little bit leggy. He was even though he was playing incredibly well. I think that both was maybe of them. one of the reasons. Yeah, both of them. Yeah, mm. but but yeah, I think the second half particularly that the Italian midfield really got got to grips with the game. Jorginho was starting to to dictate tempo, which is something that he does incredibly well. Well, um, and and we didn't have. I don't think Mount had the effect that he maybe could have done either. I think if you'd you'd had Mount really causing havoc and, and getting in behind Jorginho, then we maybe had more of a chance. Uh, but yeah, the midfield we lost the mid. England lost the midfield battle in the second half. Just after half time, Immobile had been rather <laughs> immobile yeah. and ineffective. He didn't really do much, and obviously Mancini was quite ruthless. On about fifty-two minutes, he brought Berardi on. And it played with a false nine. And you saw Insigne kind of go into that false nine role. Uh, Chiesa seemed to be much more free. And Berardi as well. Because there was no obvious striker and the three were interlinked so well, England didn't really know whether to push, whether to go back, who to mark, where the players were going to be playing. And that that caused a lot of problems because it was kind of that false nine rather than Immobile right on the last man. It allowed them when Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips were pressing forwards, it just allowed a little bit more space for, for the likes of Insigne to kind of work their magic, whereas Immobile was was not occupying that space well enough. Mm. And I think, um, I, I, I do think, yeah, I think the, the movement, like you say, coming short, interchanging, gave the midfield more to work with. The midfield then also got a grip of the game. It was almost echoing the semi-final I felt of of 2018 with Croatia, where there was a fast start, lots of intensity, lots of pressure, really could have been 2-0 up. Uh, and to be fair, actually, I don't think England could have been 2-0 up. I think no. even though there was a lot of intensity, there was not really another chance created after that. Um, but in the obviously in the Croatia game, maybe it could have been two at the time, went into the second half with a lot of confidence, but then it all kind of fell away because England sat deeper and deeper and deeper and eventually, eventually they were worn down. Now, in fairness, even though England did sit deeper and deeper and deeper and Italy started to get a stranglehold of the second half, they didn't really create, I don't think, a golden no. opportunity. Although what you would say is that when you have that amount of pressure in a particular third, over time you will get some luck, you will create your own luck. And they were dominating England, they were having all the possession, they were trying to, um, they were pulling defenders all you know around and in, into positions they didn't want to be in. So while they didn't test pick for very much, they did get themselves into they created that opportunity through perseverance and yeah it was they fortunate were. it was like pinball but you can't really say it wasn't warranted warranted they they were certainly winning a lot of set pieces in dangerous areas as well which is is always a worry and i think that's one maybe criticism you can have of Pickford is from set pieces he's sometimes a little bit erratic in the way he comes out of his goal and he's not got a great record from shots from outside the box as we saw in the uh in the semi-final as well but I you know what for the Italy goal I think that there was a really tremendous save from Jordan Pickford I, I think that maybe that didn't get the yeah no it was was it from it uh, Chiesa Chiesa wasn't it or was it Verratti uh, I'll be honest. No, I, I, think, I, I, honestly, I, was, I think it was very far gone in the night. <laughs> given the, the two of us, I trust me. I think it was Chiesa. I think it was because Chiesa was unbelievable on the day. And when it, Chiesa yeah, went off was, yeah. um, for Bernadeschi, he, you know, there was a huge sigh of relief from England because he was tearing up that game. He was outstanding. It was, yeah. It's hard to believe actually Chiesa didn't start the tournament in the eleven. It was actually Berardi and Insigne. So that yeah. that truly is remarkable. Yeah, he was having a wonderful, wonderful game. Uh, really, the defence couldn't live with him. I think once it went to 1-1, there was a small reprieve when Gareth Southgate then decided to ditch the back 3-5 that was working really well because it was becoming a back five permanently mm-hmm. to then go to a more... I was going to say traditional, but we've seen the back three, so just a different, we'll say, a different back to the 4-2-3-1-4-3-3 that we've become, I would say, slightly more accustomed to seeing. Uh, even though we have seen the back three quite a lot under Southgate. Uh, and there was a little bit of a response, albeit I would say no chances created, but there was more territorial advantage. There were more balls into the box. There was a little bit more attacking emphasis to what was there before, because before it was just siege mentality. And then the 4-3-3, I think, allowed England to come out a little bit more. And while not create lots of chances, it gave them a bit more... Bit, a bit, a, it gave them a bit more of a release from that constant attack of, of yeah. it 
you know what, after Italy did score, it felt a lot like kind of a sparring session where both teams were maybe a little bit too afraid to not go for it uh, in case you do kind of get that sucker punch straight back at you. I think that extra time particularly, that, that was a case of no one wanted to make a mistake and it was almost like penalties were nailed on. And as soon as penalties are going to happen, I think that it was always going to be in favour of Italy. Well, yeah. I mean, penalties are a lottery, to be fair. I they are. They are. Um, I, I imagine you say that because of the size of Donnarumma compared to Pickford and maybe the experience of the Italians. I think more so the experience of the penalty takers. I mean, they've got a lot more players who, who have taken penalties for their club side and the likes of Benucci who's taken penalties before in, in, in penalty shootouts. I was just going to say, ironically, Jorginho and Bellotti, who take penalties for their clubs, both missed. Yeah. But then Berardi, Benucci and Bernadeschi definitely didn't need a cut there. Um, did uh, <laughs> uh, Obviously did put the ball in the net. And, you know, I, I, to be fair, we talked about penalties before, uh, so don't we really want to touch too much on that, really. Um, there were, I'll, I'll touch slightly on... Maybe some people said Gareth Southgate was too quick late to change his tactics. They also said that um, he was too scared of the Italians, especially when we saw Verratti go off, we saw Chiesa go off, um, and and really the same calibre of player wasn't coming on necessarily in their place. You could argue Locatelli was is a is a is a good player and Bernadeschi too, but you know Verratti's a world class midfielder and Chiesa's looking like he could yeah. be a world class winger. So was there an was there an argument there? That, I mean Sancho came on with two minutes to go. Grealish came on very, very late as well. So or fairly late in in, in the day. Uh not yeah. as late as Sancho. Do you think do you buy into that or is it just is it just the sake of because I, I don't like the idea of making an inquest now when you when you've gone to the final and you've you've lost on penalties because anyone can lose on penalties. Anyone can win yeah. on penalties. No, well, you, you said it before. It, it really is a lot to an extent. I just think that there was more things that favoured Italy. As I've mentioned, it, there's more kind of accustomed penalty takers for them. And I think that I don't buy that Southgate told told each player who was going to take the penalties. I think they definitely put their names forward. And because of that, I, I think that you can't really question it. If if on the night a player says that he's OK to take it, he's confident and he feels good, then you, you let him take a penalty. And I, I think Southgate's done well to say that it was him because I think you need to do that to take the pressure off them and, and kind of take take the, the fire away from them. Just to summarise this whole section, it was really a, a closely fought game between two of the best uh, nations within the tournament. One of the nations, from a purist point of view, Italy, have done it from day one and played some wonderful football and really took the game to many opponents and they've shown resilience and grit later on in the tournament to get the job done. England have been less sexy on the eye, quite by contrast, much less sexy, even though there's a lot of talent and attacking talent there. That's why you're going to have some critics, I suppose, there. But you cannot argue with the approach of Gareth Southgate because in the previous two tournaments that I bang on about all the time, France and Portugal, they did it this way. And international football is very different to club football. So there was method in what Gareth Southgate was doing, very nearly did do the unthinkable really and, and and bring the bring the trophy home for England. But Italy, as I say, against the grain of, of recent years, were for me the best team overall across the tournament in terms of the way they played, in terms of consistency. Topic two, start with that. Uh other teams really that because obviously the inquest is England and to be honest with you, we could talk about England for hours, but everyone will do that. Um really. Um and and, as, and and there there must be a, and for me I also think that that you can you can pull England to parts you can pull England apart with little small things and say oh this wasn't right this wasn't right like many were doing on social media like a few pundits were even suggesting oh this could have been done better that could have been done better this could have been done better but you know it was it was the second best out of twenty four teams S- come on let let's uh, let let let's calm down a little bit there I think it's a bit ridiculous to be going in with yeah them. if you if you'd said that before the tournament I think. A lot of people, I mean, they, they wouldn't have been too happy about losing the final, but if you'd said that they were going to get to a final, they'd have been over the moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, Some people are moronic. Um, but on to, there were many other teams that didn't obviously get here. Uh, many disappointed nations, more disappointed than England or should be more disappointed than England because some really good teams. There were some teams that, you know, went above and beyond. Uh, I guess when we look at teams that disappointed and people that didn't go as far, I think, well, in fact, let's before we get there, just a word on Italy because we sort of touched on that. Well, that was more England focused. 
Um, for me, and I've said this many times, I think Italy were one of the only teams in the tournament that played a lot of their games like a club team, a team that wanted to open the teams up, a team that looked like they'd worked on the training ground a heck of a lot to create an intricate attacking philosophy where all the players were moving, where they could open opposition up at will. And it didn't look like it was an effort to open up a deep block because they did it for fun in that group stage. And they looked like they were doing Mm -hmm. it with such ease. And then as they got on later into the tournament, they still maintained that to an extent, but they also get, as I touched on before, they had that grit, that determination, that, that desire, maybe what we see with some of the other teams as well, to dig in, to be gritty, to be ugly. So they got both sides of it spot on. And when they, but, but as I said, in the early stages when they had to play against deep blocks, they were one of the few teams that did it with ease. And it looked like they'd done a tactical, a really um, intricate tactical plan with Roberto Mancini. And it looked like they'd been working on it for a lot of years, something we couldn't really say about many of the other big sides. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, Mancini is one of the few managers in international football that has had a lot of success with club sides. Obviously, I think he's won CF three times. He's certainly a well-regarded manager at club level alongside that. And I think because of that, you kind of do get get that benefit of experience that he has at the very top level. Uh, and he's clearly brought that through and it's worth a treat. Yeah. Slight speed up there. You were you were, you were, you were really going to tell him that. You were wrapping it a little <laughs> bit. I think uh, Serie A, Serie A, is it Serie A? Um, but that, that is the Italian league. Don't know why I said it like that, but yeah, no, he's been, um, yeah, he's he's done a wonderful job for Italy, and um, yeah, I, and, and the thing is with Italy, they've got consistently good players across the board, but you need someone to knit them all together. I don't think they've got other than Chiesa, maybe they've not got top top. Well, Chiesa is not a world class player yet, but they've not got world class superstars that give them the ball. They'll do something like some of the other teams, which we'll touch on in a second. So in theory, for Italy to do this well, you get the sense that they had to build this kind of system that worked for them that could benefit a lot of these players good players really good players but not elite level players that could do it all on their own and you just get the sense that so many have, have benefited from it Jorginho being at the hub of it uh Locatelli scoring goals from deep in midfield uh Berardi's had a solid tournament Chiesa's had a fantastic tournament later on um Insigne's been d- decent scored a great goal of course in in the opening uh in the opening match Immobile's got amongst the goals after he's drought for his national team in, in major tournaments so and Spinozola of course one of the one of the best yeah. fullbacks in the tournament until his injury so they found a way to play which suits everyone to a tee and they, they've all really benefited from it yeah 100% uh, I, I don't think there's a, a clear weak spot in the side as well which is obviously a massive benefit to the manager but I think that alongside that I think that it does take the manager as you mentioned to, to kind of tie it all together uh, and I think the wingers in particular were, have really impressed me this tournament. I think it's maybe harsh to say that they're not world-class, particularly Insigne. I think he's a, a really top, top draw player. If, if we talk top five world-class, not for me. Not for me. Not for me in a position. Well, yeah, it depends how you you, you, you kind of define world-class. Thrown around too much think, these days. I like legend. He's a top player. Like legend. People say, oh, you're a legend. But <laughs> like I so said, what have you done? You opened a crisp packet or something. It's like, it's just so, it's just so trivial these days. Uh, world-class legend, not for me, Clive. Um, we'll have another, we'll have another discussion one week on, on our kind of de- definitions of world-class elite, etc. Yeah, it probably, probably won't be that interesting to be fair. I mean, how many <laughs> are we going to have on that? Um, yeah. I mean, just touching on it though. Yeah. So Italy obviously did really, really well. Defied, well, I said defy most people's expectations. I did remind people a few po- podcasts ago that Italy were unbeaten in a long time and hadn't conceded in a while. And I said they could do well. I was shocked. Hey, I will- well, uh, w- one thing I will mention though is that how many times have England gone into tournaments unbeaten, having won every single game in the, the qualifiers? Yeah, well, this is different because these are Italy. Come to scratch. Ah, okay. Yeah, there's a difference because they've won. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Um, Obviously, many people have France and Portugal down. I actually have Portugal as my possible winners. Um, based on the fact Portugal's just won the last Euros, France has just won the last World Cup, they were many people's favourites in the group of death. And this is the thing what I talk about, and the obvious di- difference between international football and club football, these two teams are, are great examples of it. Um, and Portugal, um, they won Euro 16, playing quite ugly. Um not really an attacking plan. Try and be compact. Try and be rigid. Get the ball to Ronaldo. Hope he does something good. Get crosses into the box. Get Ronaldo's head on it. Great head of a ball. 
It's quite a good tactic. It got them quite a long way in the Euro 2016. Then in the final, it was nil-nil with uh, France. And Ed Air from 25 yards, individual brilliance, separates the match. Compact, resilient, individual brilliance, 1-0, win. Portugal, win the, win the Euros. France, um, similarly, in that World Cup, dogged, determined, organised. Of course, it was the 4-3 with Argentina that was a fantastic game. But in reality, it was give the ball to Mbappe, give the ball to Pogba, give the ball to these superstars, give the ball to Griezmann, make them do something. They can do something. They're fantastic players. And then defensively, make sure you're organised, make sure you're hard to beat, make sure you're rigid, make sure you don't give much away. And in most games, that'll work for France because they have world-class, top-level talent up top. In most games, that, sh- that should theoretically work for Portugal. They've got top-draw players and Ronaldo, obviously, up top, speaks for himself. But it's always fine margins. So if a team scores against you first and then goes deep block and it's quite a good team, you're in trouble because... Obviously, you're not you're basically set up really for counterattack or to hit them on the break or to capitalize on a mistake. You're not necessarily set up to break opponents down with an intricate way. And I feel like tactically, both of them looked quite ordinary. It's not something we shouldn't have been surprised by. And then you look then at the individuals, and for France, Mbappe. If Mbappe stepped up against Switzerland, they'd have won the game 5-3. Pogba yeah. was immense. He missed the decisive penalty. And as you say, Pogba set him up a couple of times in the match. There was one particular one through ball that he played to Mbappe. And he should have he should have hit it with his left foot and didn't uh, and, and took too long and missed. So, uh, yeah, Mbappe had a bit of a horror show. And I think it's purely because I, I picked him out at the start as the potential golden boot winner. You know, I you know who I why, picked? You know why I picked? he was so scared of scoring. Benzema, right? No, no, no. I, I did a slash. I did Benzema slash Ronaldo. I, I seem to recall you saying Benzema. I said Benzema oh. or Ronaldo. More confidently Benzema. Yeah. He got four though, didn't he? Got four. How many Mbappe yeah. get? Mbappe nearly scored a penalty. <laughs> nearly. Yeah, we go. Um, <laughs> but that's the point. When international football, it's I believe it's more reliant on individuals than club football is because... There's less time to build these systems. So fair play to Mancini for doing it. There's less time to build these intricacies. So you're looking at your superstars. And now for Portugal, Ronaldo did largely step up. Bruno Fernandes was atrocious. Um, he was horrible. Horror, horrible. Uh, other players, Jao Felix, when he came on, he wasn't great. I know he didn't get a lot of time, but he didn't set the world on fire. Uh, Bernardo Silva wasn't bad. He was okay. He wasn't too bad. I mean, Renato Sanchez was excellent in the midfield, uh, really. Yeah, but but he was their their standout bar, Ronaldo. I think. But, but yeah, that's the thing. I feel like in that last game, it was against Belgium where they went out. They went out to a wonder goal because again, with a moment of brilliance, not a not a wonderful pattern of play. It was a moment. It was a twenty-five yard bending strike. Or maybe the keeper can do better, Patricio. But it was a brilliant goal, and then. Basically, the last 15 minutes of that game, can you remember what the tactic was? Cross the ball in and hope Ronaldo gets his hands on it. Cross the ball in. And then if you mark Ronaldo out... <laughs> no, no, but do you get... It was quite one-dimensional. It looked like... Yeah. And, and when, when they get the ball... It down to a little bit of what we spoke about last week, doesn't it, really? Where, where the international sides, they don't get the same amount of time to kind of train these philosophies uh, and kind of get get these tactics right. And, and so because of that, you end up in situations like that where you are just kind of kicking it up hoping for the best you've got one of the best headers of all time in the box you're going to kind of go for that tactic uh, I think that losing to Belgium is not kind of something to be to, to stick your upper lip at I think that it is, it's more more of a fair thing to do and, and look England could have easily gone out to Germany uh, and in yeah. that case we'd have gone out the same stage and we'd be talking about it completely differently so I think that you, you can't be too harsh on Portugal for losing to Belgium it is the main overriding point whereas France actually losing to Switzerland that is a massive disappointment yeah but it's true that actually because even the you're right even the England game it it was it was essentially you could call it a tactical excellence or whatever but if Thomas Muller scores that one-on-one or even Timo Werner scores the one-on-one you know the two best chances fell to Germany aside from the goals and yeah. And you're talking about a completely different thing, which shows really how the fine margins are so fine, aren't they, really? At international level, in club level, you get the sense that 
oh, well, they won because they were doing this with their system and the, the fullbacks were doing this or the wing. But literally, it's almost a game of chess, a lot of these international matches. And and and, and it, the, the margins are so fine. The, the brutalities are so enormous if they do go slightly wrong. I mean, Belgium, yeah. you touched on Belgium. Uh, I actually think when they got the ball into midfield and they had the attack, I feel like there was good link-up play with De Bruyne, uh, with Lukaku. Yeah, Lukaku was uh, causing all kinds of problems for, for every team that he played. I think. I'd say both Hazards as well, because I thought Eden wasn't that good, but he can still do something. And Torgan obviously scored that really good goal, it, it really good winner against Portugal. And he actually had, I thought, a solid tournament, sometimes playing at, at wing-back, sometimes playing a, a bit further forward. Yeah, no, I thought, I thought he did well as well. And Doku as well. That, Doku? Oh, Doku's a wonderful player, yeah. Really, really talented. He's he's got the the kind of similar burst that you get from from Adama Traore, except I think Doku's got a little bit more about him in terms of the final ball and the final decision making. More so, he, he gets the ball in faster. Mm. Is the main overriding point that Doku Belgium's gets. issue really though was even though they, they they seemed to have I think Belgium looked like they had a few more patterns of play than other teams, but. The issue was getting the transition up to the midfield because they had three aid. Well, they had aging centre backs and, and deniers in there as well, but they, they also had Alderweireld and Vertonghen still playing, and uh, I think even Vermaal in at times. Yeah, Courtois not good with his feet, but he is a good goalkeeper. So what you've got is a really difficult transition to the midfield. Once it got to the midfield, you thought things could happen, but it was getting it to the midfield, and I think that really came a cropper. And ne- never was that more true when they played Italy, and Italy pressed high. They looked so panicked when they tried to get it out from the back, the Belgium. They looked so panicked and so unorthodox. And if they did get past that press, they did create a few openings to Bruyne getting, getting yeah, on the ball, Tielemann. There was a couple of chances for Lukaku in that match that, <laughs> imagine had he had he put those away yeah. we could be talking again about a completely different thing and it's as you say it's those fine margins and the the level of risk when you are playing international football is just so much higher mm. there's, there's more on the line yeah um, I, I will reserve this to the so-called bigger nations because I suppose in the top five bigger moments I think we'll probably touch on some of the I imagine some of the smaller nations in, in terms of what you've got there so just a, just a quick word on a few of the others then uh, I actually think Spain were excellent uh, I think um, Luis Enrique did something similar to what Mancini did in that he got Spain playing with a, in a system and a philosophy and a style where the midfield were dictating the play, the forwards were linking it well. If they had a more clinical forward or more clinical conversion in the final third, they could have won the tournament, I think. Um, yeah. and, and, it, and it was remarkable because there were so many shades of Spain, the great Spain team, towards the end. As they got going, they started slowly, but as they grew into the tournament, we was, I was thinking Spain 08, Spain 10, Spain 12, just without that lack, just with the lack, sorry, of efficiency. Probably at both ends, really, because the defence was a bit... Mm, the goalkeeper wasn't as good as Casillas, of course, Simon. And even though he did have a few good games, they didn't strike... Obviously, Casillas was world-class. And then in attack as well, there was just a bit of a lack of, of cutting edge, but... Clinicality, isn't it? And, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it was the lottery penalties that, that they went out to. And it, yeah. some, some of the worst penalties you'll ever see. I mean, how often does Busquets miss? Uh, I, I think Spain, yeah, I, I was really impressed with Spain as well. I think they'll they'll challenge in the next few years in major tournaments as well. I think the the only real issue is what happens when Busquets leaves. You've got Rodri's maybe not quite that same level. Uh, not yeah, bad though. I think, Spain, I think he's not bad, but I, Busquets, you're looking That's at one of the best midfielders ever, aren't you? Mm, yeah, maybe he's a good player, top top top. Um, but um, no, he is. It sounds sarcastic. Just a quick word. And Netherlands as well, really poor flop. I mean, to be fair, Netherlands didn't strike me as, and this is really brief, Netherlands didn't really strike me as um, a team that knew, that looked comfortable from minute one. They just sort of, they, they were exciting, but they looked like they didn't really have full confidence in what they were doing. Um, and to be yeah, fair to them... Very much what I expected from a Frank de Boer side. Yeah. I mean, to be fair though, I will say that Marlon runs through on goal against the Czech Republic if he scores, it's 1-0 to the Netherlands. He misses, they counter, De Ligt's sent off, and it's an entirely different game. Fine margins. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we'll move on then. We'll go on to top five um, top five moments then, really, of, of the tournament. And, uh, you know, we've got, we've got a few here, really, because we, we're touching mainly on the bigger teams there, and I hope this gives us the opportunity to touch on some of the teams that maybe did better than we thought or or surprised us or some of the brilliant stories 
and in no particular order as well because this could be anything this could be a game it could be a moment it could be a, a campaign and i guess they're, they're, they're quite different to the to the bigger teams i hope they are <laughs> Um, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll kick off then because I've not really, I wrote down five games, but I, I'm going to use one or two of these. And first of all, I'm going to go with Denmark, really. For me, my team of the tournament, really. I know I've said Italy. Casper uh, Schulman, the manager, absolutely amazing uh, leadership. The, you know, we talk about how good Gary Southgate was and he was amazing and he's done so much off the field almost like a politician, better than our politicians in terms of the way he spoke about ethics. No, but way... politics doesn't matter, Johnny. Right, right okay, yeah. It does on my other podcast. Um, <laughs> but no, the way he, uh, he, he... He made the team more than the team. He made it a... He made it a cult almost, but a good cult. A cult of uh, of uh, positivity, of, of, of decency, of integrity. However, that... Also, those same vibes passed over to the Denmark setup because they saw their teammate nearly die and they were two games in and they'd lost both games. They needed to win the third one big and they needed to hope that other results went to their favour to have a chance of going through to the next stage. They did win big. They won 4-1 against Russia. They carried on into the latter stage of the tournament. They battered Wales, sorry, Welsh fans, 4-0 and carried it on. Uh, that good vibe beat Czech Republic 2-1, took England so close. I was really, um, you know, England won by a dubious penalty and I was really conflicted because this was any other team, it don't matter, but Denmark, they'd been through so much. They'd fought such a good game. They outplayed England at certain points in that game, which is testament to how good they were set up because individually England had far the better players. And yeah, Hulman and his players absolutely stellar top 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 my team in the tournament yeah agreed I, I really enjoyed watching them as well I, I think they were quite entertaining at times uh, I think the midfield in particular was very very good uh, my one of my top moments really was Ukraine uh, and particularly versus Sweden the, the 120th minute winner from Dov Bick I think that Ukraine they were actually my pick at the very start as kind of the, the outsiders who might do well, the dark horse, if you will. And then they got three points and just scraped through uh, the group stage. Um, but I think that they did quite well. They showed quite a lot of fight. And I think in that that moment, the pure ecstasy from everybody. And I remember Andrei Shevchenko oh, yeah. seeing his reaction to the goal and everyone kind of the... I, I just felt really happy for them all. They, they were so excited with it. And I think a lot of people kind of written them off by that point. I think a lot of particularly England fans were expecting to play Sweden. Uh, and there was this kind of surprise, 120th minute winner. You, you, it just doesn't get better than that in, in knockout football, I think. Yeah, fair. Um, maybe they, they don't want to remember the game after that, but they were, um, you yeah. know, they... Don't talk about that. <laughs> no, but they, yeah, they did do well. And they were another team, really. I watched them and I thought, there's so much good and there's so much incoherent. I mean, defensively, I'm thinking, what are you doing at times? But going forward, they they, they did uh, create and fashion themselves some good opportunities. And Yamalenko's goal is probably one of the best in the tournament, wasn't it? That belting finish in the in the first game. To, to really turn it on when he plays for Ukraine, is it's almost like he's he's well aware that he's the talisman. Uh, and he turns into their their answer to Ronaldo, and oh. I think West Ham will maybe be be thinking, why can't you do that for us? Yeah, um, yeah, no, that's fair. I think, yeah, no, you. I'll go. Are Ukraine aren't on there? To be fair, to be fair, five of them are games, so they are on there actually. I did, I did have Netherlands three, Ukraine two on there. So that was the best game, first best game of the tournament they watched. If that makes sense. It was the yeah. first exciting yeah. game, yeah. Um, but I'll go for a, I'll go for my most exciting game as, as my one of my top five players, which was for me, uh, France versus Switzerland was an unbelievable game of football. That's unbelievable. Right. It was symptomatic, really, of a Switzerland team. Uh, obviously, Nishal has been on this podcast. He was very, very happy at the time um, when when Switzerland went through because he's a very proud Swiss um, supporter. And honestly, it was an incredible effort by his team. So much. Um, I think it's a bit um, it's a bit patronising to say oh, they show so much fight, so much desire because there was actually a lot of quality as well uh, on that uh, in that team. Seferovic with a, a brilliant double where he 
he basically made a mockery of the two French defenders getting up, powering in headers, um, you know, and it was, I mean, France should have won. Don't get me wrong. They created ample, Sommer was fantastic. He was, he had a really, really good, he had a really good tournament. Um, but, you know, Vladimir Petkovic, he, he, there was, there was a, he's been there since I think 2014. There was a, there was an expectancy on, on Switzerland to finally deliver something. And, not only did they deliver something in that game, but they went on to, you know, go to a semi-final with Spain, uh, sorry, a quarter-final uh, with Spain, and they lost on penalties. So, it, again, it, such fine margins. They gave Spain, a brilliant Spain team, by the way, a really, really good game. So, yeah, that game in particular was an undoubted highlight, but just to, just to coincide with that as well, Switzerland's uh, tournament was a really, really good tournament. Granit Xhaka, what a tournament he had as well. Um, often delivers for his country, really stepped up to the mark and, um, you know, really controlled control things in the middle of the pitch. Excellent. Yeah, agreed. That that was also on my list. And I think had Granit Xhaka maybe not got that that second yellow card to, to make him miss the Spain game, then they, they, may, they might have had a slightly better chance in that. Uh, I think, yeah, they, they were very, very good. I was very impressed with Ricardo Rodriguez, who's a player who's fallen by the wayside a little bit since mm. when he was at Wolfsburg. Uh, and, uh, I think a lot of people saw him as kind of the next big left back because he was such a, a dominating wing back of sorts, really. But he's played more defensively uh, through the tournament. And I was really impressed with kind of the composure that he showed and the leadership that he showed, mm. uh, particularly and quality as well on his left foot. Re- really good player. Uh, mm. Yeah, I, I also had that that moment in my top five. Mm. Uh, another one for me. I, I know you kind of said we we want to stick to the smaller teams, but I think that. One moment that, that kind of made me really proud, or two moments really, uh, it, watching England was when Saka missed the penalty and Calvin Phillips mm. sprinted to him straight away. And in exactly the same kind of vein against Germany, when I think Sterling made a mistake for the Muller chance and he was he was on the floor, he was nearly inconsolable. And straight away, Kieran Trippier runs to him and he picks him up and he shakes him off and it, 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 I think there was just kind of the, the real togetherness and it kind of made you proud to be be supporting that team and to be supporting those players. Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed both of those moments and, and that was a, some of my top moments in, in the tournament. Yeah, togetherness is a really big one. I mean, you've seen it. You saw it there. You've seen it. Well, that was kind of my one with Denmark as well, really. You saw it there. See it with England. See it with even the smaller, even even North Macedonia. You saw the um, you know, and, and, and how much it meant to their players, and got led by uh, Goran Pandev and, and Finland as well. Albeit Finland won in probably the worst possible way to win a first game at an international tournament. Something I really feel for them with um, in in that in that in that Denmark incident, really uh, with, with the Ericsson incident. Sorry, so yeah, that that was that was really. Um, yeah, that was a bit disappointing. Yeah, I think I, I, I would say um, another play. I suppose again, I'm gonna I'll, I'll stick away from the game this time, and I'll, I'll go for I suppose the return of the fans, which I think in stadiums really does make a difference. I mean, whether you're whether you're watching in the stadium, whether you're watching on the television, whether you're watching in a fan park. There is something about watching fans in stadiums. These are bustling vessels of atmosphere and to have them deprived of people and voices and and basically um, to have them deprived of of of, cha- of, of vocalness, um, which isn't a word, but to have them Actually. deprived of... Yes, there we go. It doesn't feel right. And obviously we kind of had that counteracted with the, with the use of... With the use of, uh, of 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 the fan the fan audio thing which doesn't really work that well compared to the real thing it's, it's it's very obviously very staged and of course we actually saw the I think that you now politically this is atrocious because they were they were showing no regard for the COVID but I think one of the first uh, stadiums we saw full was in Hungary and yeah. uh, it was the Hungary Portugal game and it was like oh my lord what's going on here full stadium and obviously the Hungary game against France where Hungary went to go up it was quite remarkable the fans were all you were all ecstatic. The female touchline reporter was terrified yes, as the players went over to her. I don't have that one. That's one of the moments in the tournament. We Amazing. can put that in, yeah. But generally, yeah, just the return of the atmosphere 
to these stadiums and the legitimacy, I think, of playing these football matches because there is a legitimacy when people are watching physically. And when they're not watching physically, it becomes a financial obligation, I think, as opposed to a legitimate thing that... Yeah. Um, no, I agree completely. I, I've really enjoyed it. And I mean, particularly as, as England fans, watching the last few games at Wembley has been, been really top draw as well. Uh, following on from that, actually, you mentioned about the Puskas Arena in Budapest. Mm. One of my moments was kind of that last day in Group F uh, yeah, where yeah. Group F really lived up to to the hype almost as, as the group of death. And obviously it was Germany against Hungary, but I was watching Portugal versus France. And yeah, I remember yeah. that the, the kind of news filtered around to all the, these Hungarian fans watching yeah. a great yeah. game of football themselves that Hungary had scored. And there was pandemonium in the stadium for a goal that uh, had gone in, in in a completely different country. And I think that those two games going on at once, I think that every team filled every single position throughout that 90 minutes. Yeah. And it, it was just everything you kind of want from a, a group stage final game. And uh, and that was maybe one of the only, one of the few times where it was good that uh, the games were played in different countries because you, you really got the, the Hungarian fans not actually watching Hungary, but hearing about it. And, and as I say, that, you heard the the cheers through the TV. It was really great. Yeah, no, that was a really. I was actually I was contemplating putting that in myself. Actually, um, that that final. You know what? I will do. Um, that fi- I'll, I'll agree with you. I think the final day that that was something that we hadn't really seen because it, there was a stage where all four teams were going through at one point. Well, they weren't, but they, that doesn't make sense because can't all four can't go through. But they were they were all interchanging positions as to where they went through, who they were playing. Hungary were through, Germany were through, Portugal were through, France were through, Portugal were bottom, Germany were bottom. It was fantastic, and it was almost like one of those um, championship final days where everyone's switching in the playoff, yeah, or or even uh, Premier League top four, I suppose. Yeah, or relegation. I remember, I remember West like Brom staying up on the last day. That it reminded me of that a little bit, actually. And it was, yeah. And you can and you can apply that to any domestic division, really. That felt like club football was back in a sense. That that kind of oh, there's so many variables going on at this point. In that moment, um, you know, we didn't really see that too much. You obviously with the three team group, uh, there were, there, were, there were arguments for and against. I actually think generally it was probably a good thing, really, even though we had that thing where it wasn't. But you got another one. Uh, go on then. I'll go for. Uh, Patrick Schick against Scotland. Uh, I think the goal of the tournament, it amazed me. I was watching it at work. I looked twice. I thought, did that happen? It was quite funny because it was on BBC and the commentators were Scottish and I couldn't help but laugh because when it went in, they went, oh yeah, it was a good goal that. So yeah. it, was quite, it was quite under understated. It seems to recall you sending me a, a piece of text commentary you saw as well that said yeah. something along the lines of, oh yeah, he scored a pretty decent goal from outside the box. I think they were <laughs> quoting the audio for it. I think that's what he said. He literally <laughs> said, oh yeah, it's a good goal. But he was they were just quite upset being Scottish, obviously. But it was a, a phenomenal effort. And what's amazing about it is the amount of bend that he got on the ball when he did it. It was remarkable. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a difficult skill to do, isn't it? Like, and, the, and there's been many good goals in this tournament, but that stands out for me as obviously being the best, and that's why it's in the top five. Yeah, no, I think that one's the best. And I think the other goal, uh, and I'll make this one of my moments of the tournament, was the, the Belgian one uh, that I've mentioned a few times already when Lukaku... I, I think I've already mentioned five, yeah, but I'm just going to... Because you said about the goal of the tournament. I can't remember if uh, I mentioned five. I was counting Lukaku five. was going in behind, held the ball up, pinged it inside and it eventually dropped to De Bruyne from outside the area. First time, beats man. It's perfect. Really great goal. I think, I think I've think i done five. We've certainly got five between us. Yeah. Uh, if not, I'll, I'll just quickly say, just generally, because we didn't really comment, the, the officiating, top, 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 top standard. Yeah. I've not really used that. And if I've not got a five, I'll, I'll make a cheeky six if there is a five. But it's a bonus and it'll be like literally in 20 seconds. It, it it makes us um, it makes me a bit embarrassed when we look at the standard officiating in our country. They make VAR seem so effortless. The communication is so good. The decisions have generally been outstanding. Uh, while we can't seem to, we take about twenty five minutes to make an offside decision. Look at look at the standard in the. It was the same in the World Cup, and then we forgot about that when it came to the Premier League. We said, "Oh, it's VAR's fault." And then we had the Euros, and it's back to good again. So yeah. let's not forget that. Let's work on our own officiating. Yeah, hundred percent. Right there, we go. There is there is an argument, of course, that. At the Euros and at the World Cup, you kind of get all the best from each country. So it's kind of a, a calibre above. But no, I, I agree there's certainly lessons to learn. Topic four. And I'll address topic four by saying we're doing team of the tournament now. I should just also say, just before, I'm not going to do too much on this because 
I've really not been following the tournament anywhere near enough. Don't think you have either. But congratulations to Messi. Congratulations to Argentina winning the Copa America. Messi's first Copa America. Messi's first international tournament. Could he do a double next year in the World Cup 2022? But yeah, on to the team of the tournament for the Euros. Something we'll follow more 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 appropriately. Uh, I yeah, I mean, there's been so many options. I'm not happy with my lineup, honestly. Uh, but I will say it for the sake of discussion because. <laughs> I, I I'm I'm really mixed on quite a few of these, really. But um... no, I'm the same, really. It's it's tough to pinpoint certain players, and then alongside that, you've got players that maybe went out earlier, so play fewer games, but they were excellent throughout those games. Yeah. How do you how do you weight their performances compared to someone who's played more games? It, it is difficult, but I've 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 put together a team. Yeah. Uh, I'll be I'll be I'll be analysing my own team as as and when we go through this, so I might actually make some alterations. Uh, as manager, first of all, uh, I mean, there's a few you could go with. I, I've gone for Hulman of, of Denmark. Uh, I know I could go for Mancini, and that's probably the obvious answer. But I've gone Mancini. <laughs> yeah, but for 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 me uh, to lose your talisman and to get to the semi final, and to be honest, even though England was slightly better the team, they gave as good as they had and. On a, a bit more luck, they might have got to a penalty shootout and maybe gone to the final. And that is unbelievable to uh, to go from a four-two-three-one setup where Ericsson was in the ten and the, the hub of everything to a three-four-three and being more tactically astute and putting an emphasis on wing-back play. Phenomenal management, and not just that, the humanity, the compassion, and the the man management that he did he did yeah. to rejig uh, that whole handling the entire media storm that came with that as well. I think he did do very well with that. Yeah. Great English uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. I think you can say that about a lot of managers. Can, uh, yeah, Mancini, Mancini, my manager of the tournament. We've we've been through Italy already, so I won't go into too much detail. But yeah, he, he's been excellent throughout. Um, I think that they will be dangerous in upcoming tournaments with him at the helm as well. Yep, agreed. Um, in goal, there's quite a few good nominations. Pickford, yeah, Sommer, yeah. Um, were the first two that sprang to mind, other than the Michael. Schmeichel, great, yeah, Schmeichel's been class. But I think Donnarumma, because yeah. he's won two penalty shootouts, um, which is outstanding uh, by anyone's rec- uh, recognition. He's had some made some fantastic big saves in, in, in games. Uh, his distribution was a bit strange against Spain, but he then made made up for that with some great saves. So, yeah, he, not easy, but I think the two shootouts for me was what edged it, the two shootout yeah. wins. And and the thing is, it's the fact that he's only 22 years of age. He's, he's younger than you and I. And I, I think there's a very solid, I put this on Twitter before, I think there's a very solid argument to say that he's potentially the best in the world right now. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the fact that PSG could be getting him on a free transfer says... And apparently his second choice this season. Much, <laughs> well, potentially, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> That's a we'll shame. That works out. Yeah, yeah. so Donnarumma, probably easy shout, but there's been some phenomenal keepers, like I said, yeah. that we just mentioned. Pickford, Pickford's done very well as well, I think. Yeah, yeah, uh, he has. Considering a lot of people were questioning him before this one. Not I. Um, I but yeah, he has done well. Uh, okay, back four. I've gone... Uh, I think I'm quite happy with the back four, actually. I've gone uh, Mailer, Maguire, Chiellini, and Spinazzola. Okay, well, I've gone Kyle Walker. Mm. I've gone Harry Maguire and Chiellini, as you have as well. And yeah. I did go Spinozola, but just to mix it up, I'm going to go Jordi Alba because I think he was yeah, yeah, phenomenal throughout. Yeah. He did very, very well. Yeah, uh, Created a lot of chances for Spain. And I think that it made me realise that just why Barcelona sold Luca Dean. Yeah. 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 No, he's, he's a phenomenal left-back. Never... I think I think he gets the slander because of I think like most big players you you do whenever something goes wrong you often look at the bigger players don't you and uh, yeah he's, he's he's so 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 good um, and still is and and it, and he really was he was he was controlling that left hand side obviously Spinazzola yeah is the more obvious shout but it was a fair shout Albert Spinazzola really made the inverted fullback his own and now lots of people are saying oh we should do this at our club um he was outstanding he basically played as a winger didn't he on that left hand side yeah. but also got back and tracked really well i think when emerson came in in fairness to him he did okay actually he but was, was, i think he was less good going forward there was a deficiency there yeah, yeah it was um but, but no spinazzola one of the players of the tournament i think that the, the injury really hampered him a lot or yeah. obviously hampered him quite a lot because yeah. he's out for a few months but yeah 
yeah, no, he was very, very good. Yeah, you got, we both got Chiellini. We've yeah, Chiellini's, Chiellini, obvious, really. And Maguire, I, I, the only reason I went Maguire over, say, a Stones was because I thought as Maguire came in, England looked like they were transitioning the ball out better or quicker yeah. or, or, you know, so I think he had more of an impact than Stones did. But Stones has been outstanding from the start, but Maguire seemed to be a bit more confident in coming out with the ball and making, make, opening up uh, the lines, I think. No, no, I well, I agree. I, I put him in as well. I think he's done done excellently. Uh, again, some people have been question marks over him beforehand. I mm. think that was unfair, though. Yeah, yeah very good. Chiellini, you, you could have gone Chiellini or Bonucci, I think. Uh, I went with Chiellini because I, I, like prefer, Chiellini. I prefer him as a man. Yeah, uh, generally, you know how he, his English is just—he's just so wholesome when he speaks. Yeah, <laughs> and and there was also that moment with Jordi Alba before the penalty shootout <laughs> in the yeah. semi-final. Yeah, he was just throwing him around. Yeah, yeah, I love, <laughs> I love enjoyed it. Really. I liked it. I like Chiellini. I, 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 yeah, I love him. I do. I think he's great. He's, uh, he's very much a, a winner as well. Winning mentality, indeed. Yeah, uh, and then lastly, you went with Myla. Yeah. I went with Kyle Walker. Yeah, Mailer because he's basically been he's been left wing back, and of course he can play right wing back, but obviously the back four and it's a team with a ton. No one really, did, so you just put him there. He goes in. Um, he's right, it'll work. He is right, of course he can play either side, uh, and he's just such a technically outstanding footballer. Uh, he really, really is. Burnley were linked with him a few seasons ago when he was playing when he was playing his trade in Belgium, yeah, in Belgium yeah. Pro League. Uh, obviously, yeah, he was at Genk, yeah, he was at Genk, yeah, and he and he's now moved to. Uh, Atalanta, uh, where he's, you know, obviously, obvi- well, obviously it's a step up for him in terms of that. But now people are already talking about for, for a move to, um, for a move to the Premier League uh, on the back of that. But you know, he is, he's been for a quite a while a technically outstanding player with a lot of confidence and a lot of ability. We saw with one of the assists of the tournament against yeah. the Czech Republic. Um, so yeah, and a Walker Walker's been defensively outstanding. I, I, he doesn't yeah. pull up any trees going forward. So I suppose mine's the opposite of yours. Yeah, no, he, he's been excellent defensively, and I think that he's maybe the perfect kind of player for the for the system that Gareth Southgate likes to play, where it is interchangeable between a back three and a back four because he can slot in seamlessly to to the back three, and and his recovery recovery speed has bailed England out so many times, and yeah. I think it's bailed Man City out a lot as well yeah. in terms of club football. He's had an excellent tournament. I think also alongside that, I just wanted to say Denzel Dumfries was excellent mm-hmm. before Netherlands got knocked out. I think he could easily get a big move this summer, or he will get a move this summer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, on to your midfield. Uh, midfield. So I've gone with a DM first, and it pains me to say it, but I've gone with Jorginho. I think that he he has been very, very good at doing what he does best, which is dictating the tempo of play and just kind of being the heartbeat of that Italian side. And when Italy have won, I think that you kind of have to give your credits to him. I think he he does have deficiencies defensively, and I think we saw a little bit of that yesterday, um, in the final, that is, uh, and and other points within the tournament. But no, he's been excellent. And I think that that kind of, as I say, the dictating tempo has really impressed me this tournament. Yep, same. Um, yeah, I've also gone that. Uh, Mick really tough because I wanted Shaka in there for his excellent performances for Switzerland. Um, yeah. The only reason I've gone Jorginho, uh, I was going to, well, his ice cool penalty took them to the final and then he obviously missed the decisive one in the shootout. It didn't really matter in the end, did it, against England? I think England. that was actually such a good save because was that wasn't save. a bad a penalty. Yeah. <laughs> really. but, uh, and honestly, that, that is one of the happiest moments of my life, only to be crushed. 10 seconds later. Yeah. But yeah. There you go. No, there are same reasons for you, really. Um, dictated the tempo, helped help break the deep block, helped keep things going and ticking over, made sure that Italy could keep playing high up, particularly key in the group stage games. And he think, I think he showed up really in the latter games as well. And like I say, before the penalty missing that shoot, he actually did score a decisive one against Spain. And that yeah. was nerves of steel, wasn't it? So yeah, yeah. Jorginho. And yeah, I'll go for the, early, didn't <laughs> yeah for the what two in front. I've gone for uh, I've gone four three three. I've gone Pogba yeah. and I've gone Pedri. Um, Pogba, yeah. So Pogba. <laughs> oh right, well it'll be easy discussion then. Uh, yeah. Pogba, um, one of the few France players to to step up throughout the tournament. If other players had stepped up, they'd have probably got to the semi final 
or the final or well probably the final because individually they should have got to the final because they had the best 11 by well them in Portugal for me had the two of the best 11s by quite some distance but unfortunately Pogba was let down I think by well particularly in that match by Kylian Mbappe and by his other teammates who couldn't finish off the opportunities he was created so much in that midfield uh dictating everything really shines for France I think where uh there isn't really a, a, a as I say a, an obvious system and he is the system so he, he he dictates everything and Pedri phenomenal season with Barcelona uh still a teenager well in the teen years so to speak and not hit the 20s yet and I think I read a mad stat that I mean it only it he almost every pass that he made in the tournament he completed. I think he only yeah. placed one or two, and he looked so confident. Next to Busquets, it was like the the future and the past co- uh, co- coalescing in the midfield, and he was tremendous. And he really helped to give Spain their identity that they all that they all claim to have. Yeah, he he's certainly one of my players of the tournament, and, and he was my first choice within the midfield really because. I, I think the fact that I think you can comfortably say that he is very much in the mould of Iniesta and plays a lot very similarly to Iniesta says it all because I think that it takes a certain calibre of player to be able to say that about somebody and the fact that he's doing that while he's still a teenager it, it's just phenomenal and he's he's going to be in that midfield for the next 15 years comfortably and yeah, he's a scary prospect, really. A scary mm. prospect. He's a, he's a top player. I think alongside that, uh, Marco Verratti has had a really good seat, mm. set, a really good tournament. Mm. Barella as well. Yeah. I mean, you could say it about all of the Italian midfielders. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very impressed. Very impressed. Very good. Okay, uh, front three. Uh, happy with two of them. Uh, right. I, I mean, Chiesa's has come in because for me, of his, of his late impact in the tournament, there is... Italian fans will tell you he should have been starting from game one, but he didn't, and he couldn't really complain because Italy won the first two games 3-0. But as yeah. the games got tougher and they needed someone who was just going to, you know, light up, the, light up the show up top, this was the guy. And he was, he tore England apart. He scored an unbelievable goal against uh, Spain on the counter-attack. And every game he played, he made a phenomenal impact um, in, in the big, the biggest moments. So much... Um, so I would I would say so much more decisive and and, um, and and scary when running at you. I think with Insignia, there's a bit of wastefulness. I think he's got lovely feet, but there's a wastefulness with Berardi. I think again, there's a little bit of a not quite the same silkiness or 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 fear one v one as you get with a um, with a with a Chiesa, but uh, maybe not quite as wasteful as Insignia, you might say. But those two were the starting wingers, and, and Italy were doing really well. But when they needed it to be stepped up. He made himself undeniable in that front three. However, the reason why I'm, I'm saying he's the least nailed on of the front three is because he did come into it slightly later. Sterling, other one, phenomenal tournament from minute one, and he was great, and he was fantastic, and he probably would have won player of the tournament if England had won, because he was great, um, and there's not much more to be said. And then up front, Schick, level on goals with Ronaldo. The only reason Ronaldo's not there is because three of the goals were penalties. I know, I know, lots of people miss penalties in this tournament, and to be fair... <laughs> Um, he was. We could have done with him last night, I think. <laughs> he did step up for Portugal. He was great. I actually thought he looked like he was up for it in every single game. He looked, you know, he, he was phenomenal again. But Schick, for me, um, less of a known star, of course, really did re- did really really well for Czech Republic. Uh, got them, you know, to the to the quarters, um, and and he scored the goal of the tournament. So that's why those three are the way they are. And Chiesa came into it really, really well in the latter stages. By that point, Ronaldo had gone out. So that's why he just misses out on mine. But it can be in yours or someone else. Well, yeah, mine's similar, really. Sterling, as as you mentioned, he's kind of been, he's kind of carried England, really, with his goals early in the tournament. Uh, And he's looked so exciting throughout. I think he's got the most dribbles completed of any player at the tournament, which is is always something that you, you like to look out for. Uh, I think he's done very well and obviously popped up with the goals, been in the right place at the right time, which is something that he's he, he struggled to do throughout the season at Man City, maybe a little bit more. So it's nice to see that he's coming to the form through the tournament. Uh, I've gone with Mikael Damsgaard uh, uh, in my front three, even though he's not really played as a winger, more of a kind of number 10, but he, he filled uh, an Ericsson-shaped hole 
very, very well. He's done incredibly well. And I think he, he was a player that not many people have heard, had heard of beforehand. I that's who I was, I was thinking of Damsgaard instead of Chiesa. That's the, I couldn't think of the player yeah. I was thinking of. And Might change it. it. <laughs> Damsgaard. A really top free kick. Uh, that Obviously, some people will say Pickford should have saved it, but I think he saw it late. And to be able to hit it from that distance with the pace and accuracy that he did, was tremendous, uh, and it was a shame for the, the, the Danish side that that didn't that, that, that didn't kind of uh, come through for them in the end. And then, yeah, I went with Ronaldo up front. He, he finished top scorer because he got one assist. But I think that, as you mentioned, the the kind of the leadership that he showed he did do well. But yeah, no, that rounds that off. And it's been to be fair. On the as a disclaimer, finishing this review, maybe you've not done that. Do positive Listen review next week. <laughs> Subscribe. Listen next week. Tuesday at six, probably again. Although I've been playing around with the times because there's been Euros games and it just makes more sense to play around with the times. I think it'll be back to 6pm. UK time, BST. Different in America, where actually predominantly, according to statistics, that's where most of the listens are. So you've got to, uh, yeah, fantastic. Uh, soccer. But uh, of course, you can, you, can forgive me for saying, you can forgive me for saying football. I'm sure you know what I mean. But what I would like to say as a disclaimer, what a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And I mean, I'm saying this not even just as a, someone who, I enjoyed watching England go far. I'm saying this is taking England out of the equation. This has been a phenomenal tournament, a tournament that has had some amazing moments as it's just been discussed. There's been a phenomenal amount of good football on display. And I didn't expect that after a long, arduous season that didn't really have much leeway, uh, much of a break from last season. I expected tired legs, lots of injuries and quite boring football. And to be honest, the majority of the time, that's not been the case. Free flowing, some you know, amazing goals, end-to-end matches, uh, fans back in stadiums has been Return really, really good. Turn of fans has been good. Standard of officiating has been top. Everything about this tournament has been outstanding. It's been one of the best Euros in a long time. And that's not just because England made the final. That is just generally across the board. I, I can't think... Oh, no, and goals finished the actual top goal scorer. Yeah. But I can't think of another Euros that has been as good as this in re- my lifetime. Um, of course, it's, it's taken my mind off of Everton hiring Rafa Benitez, which is... Yes, so now, now it's back to that sorrow, sorrow affair. <laughs> Let's talk about the facts. 